Welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, where we interview technical managers to ask them about their winning strategies, lessons learned, and actionable advice for other leaders. I'm your host, Jakub Greitzar. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to Tech Leaders Hub, episode number 17. So good to see you here today. Very glad you're joining us, whether you're watching live or whether you're watching the recording. Either way, very nice to have you here. My guest today is Chris Thacker from PHMG, Director of Engineering. Chris, how are you feeling today? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Cheers. Cannot complain. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. It's very good to have you here on the show and very good to have all of you watchers and listeners. Meanwhile, Chris, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, as the people are going to be slowly joining in, let's give them just a couple of minutes uh, for everyone to, to join the stream. I wanted to ask you, given, you know, we're going to be talking about kind of the philosophy of software development, why you could use one or you know, why the watchers and listeners could use one in tech leaders around the world and uh, about your particular philosophy of software development. What I'm wondering about is who do you hope will be joining in? What kind of situation they might be in? What kind of roles they might be in? Who do you think will benefit the most from listening to the conversation? Um, honestly, suppose I've not really thought of that question, but I suppose the majority of my business, or the, like the last couple of businesses I've been in, have been kind of like startup to kind of scale up. So people who have kind of perhaps grown the teams pretty heavily, you know, and kind of establishing, you know, whether it's an existing team and trying to make a change or the, the building a kind of engineering capability for the first time. So I suppose um, it probably might resonate with some of those folk a lot more. Mm -hmm. um, but again, touch wood, anything that I say today, hopefully anybody, you know, in any kind of engineering capability and perhaps even, you know, you know, wider than that, I think we talk about like the philosophy of how you approach things. And I think you could apply this hopefully to like marketing, finance i suppose you know it, it's kind of probably about how to build high performing teams at the end of the day yeah yeah uh, i totally get that and if this will be like all the other tech leaders hub episodes then very often a lot of what we hear on tech leaders hub applies way beyond technology and just leadership and management in general and to some other areas of life besides uh, so i'm sure we'll touch upon that as well uh, so chris what we like to do here on Tech Leaders Hub is before we get into kind of a little bit about your background, your story, and you know, introducing you a little bit more as a as a speaker and the source of knowledge for this session, uh, we like to give some value upfront. So you're an experienced tech leader, and the question that all of my guests get uh, at the very beginning is, what is your number one tip for tech leaders? What would you say? So I suppose um, for me, you know, one of the things I think about tech and again, the world in wider is that change never stops. So the only way to kind of be there is to kind of never stop learning. So I suppose that's something that I probably the, the one thing that I would say about my own career is that I've constantly tried to be on the front foot of my learning, you know, kind of trying to be on that cutting edge and thinking about things and delving into things, mm -hmm. even away from tech, you know, a little bit of psychology, you know, team building, etc. And I think that's always stood me in good stead. So if there was one thing that I could always say to people is, is never stop learning, even part of like my interview process, I have four criteria. I try to judge people on one of those is always self-development because I'm a big believer that, you know, people don't always get the same kind of, um, you know, experiences and land into the right environments. But if you've got somebody who's got that kind of motivation and willing to keep developing, you know, you should probably take a punt on them. So it, it'd definitely be that. Okay, so never stop learning. Could you tell me a little bit more about, uh, first of all, 
I love that tip. I think it's very relevant and not just for tech leaders, like I mentioned. Uh, but I wanted to make it more concrete for our audience uh, because a lot of the watchers and listeners are probably thinking, yes, I should be doing that. And I should be, you know, watching my team for kind of signs of this of this self-development. It's kind of knack for self-development that might be there. Do you have any particular sources of knowledge that you like to kind of peruse? Or, or is there anything in particular, you know, that when you're increasing your knowledge, how do you like to do that? Yeah, so I'm quite a big reader of books, so I probably get through like a book a week just because I am I'm a commute, so on a train I'm like 30 minutes each way, you know, in uh-huh. a day in the office, so I'll try and use that hour to read rather than be on my phone. I'm a big believer in like Udemy and things like that, so again, like a Udemy oh. book is about 12, 13, you know, English pounds. Um, I, I, I probably buy them in abundance and don't always use them if I'm being honest. But one of my biggest tips around this is to kind of have a plan, right? Because something that I've done in the past is you're trying to learn 10 things and that doesn't work. So I'll kind of mm. try and, and it sounds really weird when I say it's like theme my months. So I'll be like, right, my, my end of my month is to be able to do this. And I'll have that kind of goal in mind. So then I'll, I'll work yeah. back from it and try and do this. So for instance, when I was doing like my AWS uh, certifications, I would set the exam at the end of the month because it kind of motivated me. And one of the people works well with deadlines again you probably need to know your own learning style how you like to work for some people that would frighten them for me that's how i like to learn so i know i've got to be doing this by the end of the month and i'd work back you know what kind of things do i need to do what's going to get in my way what's going to kind of block me so um if i was going to distill that to someone who you wanted to kind of get the books of it it's like understand your learning style understand what you want your outcomes to be and plan for that you know and, and, and go forward from there yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I really admire your approach because m- my learning style is read a dozen books a month, remember nothing from them, and learn yeah. nothing from them. I seen a great tweet yesterday that said something about before you pick up the next business book, make sure you've implemented at least one thing from the one you've just read. And actually, I kind of like that as well because I'm the same. I can just read book after book after book. But actually, yeah. it kind of made me think, you know, I'm, I'm going to start trying to do that, all the books that I read, you know, and... Um, Trying to try and make sure I implement at least one thing from each book. Yeah, and that is great advice. Advice that is very difficult for people like me to take, <laughs> but it is great advice. I, I would say that. And one thing that you also said that kind of uh, piqued my curiosity curiosity here is this um, kind of need or this kind of drive for self development within your teams. Is there anything in particular that you do to either identify that drive or probably kind of the, the more important question here would be you know how do you kind of foster that drive for self-development within the people on your teams yeah so i, I try and understand that the the people because right, everyone's an individual at the end of the day right mm-hmm. and i also try and make sure that it's um it's a match between kind of say ourselves as a, as a business and yourself as an individual right so what i'll do is i'll a, give you time B, support you in in paying for things. Like I say, some of these things are obviously, you know, cheap in the grand scheme of things. Uh, But I also try and kind of give you the motivation and try to, so it's uncover your own motivation. It's better to be intrinsic than extrinsic. Even if you've got somebody who's, you know, I'm hugely motivated by cash, right? You know, it's like, you know, if you go and get these training things and make yourself more valuable as an individual as a business, that's mm-hmm. how you kind of get, you know, pay rises or or whatever. And I'm also really open with with management of focus that I understand that that it's not a job for life these days. People tend to move around, etc. So it's it's about people understanding that you know these will stand you in good stead. And obviously, you know, I don't really want people to come in, hoover up a load of training, and move on. But you know what? If they do and they did, they did. You know that 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 is where it is. You know, we'll have got the benefit of them. You know, the increasing knowledge of them whilst they're here. Um, and again, like I say, it's probably pennies in the pound frankly you know that you end up paying these days one of the things that i did when i when i kind of started working more heavily in manchester was 
join the library. The okay, Manchester Library is hugely, hugely good textbooks. Teams have all the brand new ones in. So you know, it can just be as simple as giving people that suggestion as a resource because it's, it doesn't cost you anything to go and join the library and get a load of new textbooks. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, I love that. Very concrete. Uh, I like that uh, a lot. And I did have. Uh, sorry, I, I thought I had a follow up there, but no. This is uh, great advice. I especially like what you said about not uh, focusing on the kind of external motivators, but uncovering and kind of maybe stoking the fire of the of the internal intrinsic uh, motivators. I think that's hugely important. Oh, and uh, this reminds me of a Tech Leaders Hub session that we had just a few weeks ago, actually, with Dave Marsland from Fine Matter about the. He said, you know, to not focus on the just the onboarding of the new people, but on their whole employee life cycle, even past the point where they leave the company. So this kind of resonates with those thoughts very well. Yeah, and, and that's something that as a, as a business, uh, sorry, tech probably not that great at. So you know, it's like you say, it's the whole recruitment retainment, and that one of the things I'm probably most proud of in my career was helping build out quite a few kind of like in-depth career paths, both for you know, like mm -hmm. like lead, like leads line management and for individual contributors as well. Because again, I think that's something that as a, as an industry we can be particularly bad at is that we can hire people, kind of forget about them, then have to rehire someone else to replace them. Whereas mm -hmm. to me, it seems like you've got usually got a lot of like kind of um, you know, domain knowledge walking out the business, etc. And it's all about, you know, making sure that their career path has been has been thought about, you know, and one of the things I spend a lot of time doing is like kind of like one-to-ones with folk. And it's not just about like, it's definitely not just a status meeting. It's kind of understanding that stuff. You know, one of the things I missed when I talked about how do I kind of make it an incentive is every year with our kind of objectives, I always make a personal development objective or, or work with the individual to make a personal objective. And kind of, I say it's like, a, it's like a contract between you and the, and the business. You know, so somebody turns around and says, I want to go and do, I don't know, AWS certification, Azure certification. I want to, you know, get develop deep proficiency in this language. Then actually let's put it in there. And then if, you know, we don't give you the opportunities to do that, you know, how can we kind of mark you down slash punish you kind of thing and it's something then that every mm -hmm. time in our one-to-one -one, when we talk about your objective it, it gives me license to ask and say well how is this working how isn't it working and, and have those conversations yeah i love that especially since you mentioned it's like a two-way contract because i mean i've heard the uh you know the concept being you know okay we're setting your development goals for this year your goal is this you hit the goal you get something in return but i love what you mean is that it's also on the business to create uh, the opportunity for it, give the space for it, make sure the person has enough time to actually follow that development objective. I feel like it is, it's a crucial piece that many people miss. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll move on to kind of a little bit of your background. I don't want to spend too long before we get into the kind of meat of the of this session, uh, which is the software development uh, philosophy topic. But just a short detour before that, uh, Chris, can you tell our watchers and listeners those who are not familiar with you? You know, what's been your journey so far? How did you become director of engineering? A little bit about PHMG and you know the type of business you're involved in. You know, what kind of uh, maybe team structure you're dealing with? Uh, what day to day? Just in brief, uh, would be great so that people know where you're coming from as we go into the topic of our session. Yeah, no problem. So again, I suppose originally I started in the industry as a Java developer and ended up kind of than like most people do into testing. Um, so I spent a good couple of years kind of being an automation tester, leading teams um, in, in that sphere, um, and then ended up kind of flipping back over into engineering management. And I suppose I was kind of a, a bit lucky in the fact that the industry kind of changed. And I think where the world was, you know, maybe 10 years beforehand, everyone in my kind of engineering management had to be a developer, but it would become maybe more open to other career paths in that. 
Um, uh, and then I, I moved into uh, head of engineering at moneysupermarket.com, which is the price comparison website. Um, I then went to a startup as CTO, which was Touchwood successfully acquired. And I've ended up oh. here as director of engineering at PHMG. Um, so PHMG is the world's leading audio branding agency. If I'd have had a bit more nouse about me, I think you can kind of see, oh, can't work out, you can actually see. There it is, band. yeah, the logo's right behind you. Uh, yeah, that wasn't set up, obviously. It was just pure, pure luck, and it's behind me. Um, and what we kind of do, you know, is we kind of make you sound as professional as you look. So, you know, we can work with the kind of SMEs to make you a really, really professional kind of audio brand. And likewise, we'll work with the kind of very, very top players, people like you, Tags, um samsung's etc to, to, to kind of give really good you know audio um you know branding for you um so it, it's a really really interesting business i'll be honest i've been here just over four months now um yeah. really good ideas i think you know um, i suppose touch wood about what they want to do and, and you know it, it takes a huge huge part of it so the, the business has grown grown sorry quite quite successfully probably in, in spite in some ways attack we got a couple of legacy applications that we're, we're looking to replatform this year and rewrite um which is a really cool place to be you know it very much feels like a greenfield environment um the business wow. understands tech they, they know it they've, they've brought um a cdo which chief chief digital officer um who i work for into the business and we've kind of put a lot of investments into our tech team so tech team probably currently quite small i think we've got um, 12 people now we've got another two joining next week and we've got another person joining in may but we're, we're, we're planning to grow it you know it's kind of like a business where every part of the business have, i believe is up for kind of debate and to be able to tailor and work with tech and again the the, the the business and i probably hate that phrase but i will continue to use it probably i've got a real appetite for tech they really like what can we do here how can we do here and the, the, the thing that i'm really enjoying is that a lot of the the people i'm talking to are coming with kind of um outcomes and problems rather than solutions that they want which which makes my job really easy because i think we've all been there where you know people think they know the answer to everything whereas here it feels a lot more collaborative so it's a really good place for me to be awesome i love that and i wonder you know in what you're building right now at phmg can you shed a little bit more light on what's the kind of technological challenge involved here you know what is the kind of most hairy bit of it all yeah so 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 so, so the, the business itself um is, is, is relatively straightforward is that you know we we kind of like you know we 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 sell audio branding you know to folk so um we have a couple of legacy systems internally you know that we use to kind of manage all of that so whether that's our customers or our music itself and um, it's all on premise um our, our website you know currently is, is doing it is doing a great job but we think we can do a better job with it so we're kind of looking at rewriting all of that stuff and moving it into the cloud and the cloud for me um you know it's a, it's a different thinking pattern than what kind of on-premises so mm -hmm. you know I, I want us to be able to go into there use things like serverless break things up a little bit more modular because one of the things again i've probably mentioned before is that kind of change is the only constant so i'm a big believer in like modular architectures being able to change those really thinking about the integration points the interfaces how do you make sure that you know like you know kind of testing kind of some like contract testing is on point that allows us to um you know move quick and change things because again that's the only thing that i believe truly happens all right okay we've got a question coming in uh if you don't mind uh no i'll bring it up uh and let me read it out loud for the people who will just be getting the audio of this so Tazada is asking and thanks Tazada for uh contributing another comment he's saying chris you mentioned about the engineering manager role do you mm -hmm. think it's something that is an alternative for the product owner or scrum master role plus a separate tech lead, or is that compatible? 
I'm going to answer this very, very politically. I would say both, right? And I think it depends on the organization that you're in, right? So I've got a big belief in what I call a single-threaded leader, and that's come from um, Amazon. Again, I'll make no bones that you'll hear things today that I have borrowed slash stolen from other places, right? Yeah. And I can see a world where you have kind of an engineering manager who's responsible for a team, for instance, or a couple of teams, and you could use them to facilitate some of the 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 responsibilities that those roles those roles would take. You know, one of the things that I talk about a lot in tech is that you know you can need some form of analysis, some form of design, some form of development, some form of test, some form of release. And they're the five things you probably need in every team. And actually, who mm-hmm. does those things to me isn't always about what role it is, as long as it's being covered. So I think fundamentally, yes. Um, again, when I worked in places, I've worked with. You know, I was like a head of engineering responsible for like seven teams. Every team had a PO and a tech lead. So the way mm-hmm. kind of split it up in my head was that the kind of PO was responsible for like the, the the what and the when, and then the tech lead was responsible for the how. So the idea being that, you know, one, one person was responsible for kind of like the, the architectural rigor and engineering rigor. And then actually it was the kind of product owner who was coming up with it. These are the kind of things that I want to do. These are the kind of things that I want to do. It's like a maybe an internal and external facing kind of both. You know, one's, mm-hmm. one's internal, tech lead, one's external in terms of looking at the kind of landscape for the strategy of the team. So again, might not be a great answer. And I think I think you can kind of accommodate any structure. And I think it depends on the um, the, the, amount of, uh, the amount of dealings the team has to do with. So I've seen both work successfully. Yeah, I, I personally, I love that answer. Tazada, if you've got a follow-up, go right ahead. And I do want to follow up on one thing here. The single-threaded leader, could you expand on this point or define it a little bit more? What yeah, would that mean? No, no problem. So the, um, the, 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 polite, the polite way, I've always described it as a single-threaded leader. And my view of that is that I've seen a lot of teams where you have multiple people kind of say responsible for the team. So you might have, I don't know, someone's responsible for the product side, someone's responsible for the tech side, someone's responsible, I don't know, for like negotiating commercials with suppliers, uh-huh. etc. Right. And when you have a lot of people doing that, you can kind of get um, bottlenecks, right? So people have to all agree and decide on what that what makes sense. And then what happens is you get things escalated. And all of a sudden, the team starts to slow down. Whereas when you have this kind of concept of a single-threaded leader, like one captain of a ship, there's no real debate and discussion or it's really quick to be able to solve those problems, if, if you get what I mean. Is that they, they've got the idea, they've got the map, they know where you want to go, so you make decisions quick. And one of the things I'm going to talk a little bit about philosophy later is that, you know, if you're playing a chess grandmaster and you can make two moves for every move that they make, you're probably in a good position of winning, even though strategically you've got no chance of knowing better than a chess grandmaster because you, you've got more action than, than what they have. So it's oh. so to me, it's a like belief of mine is that, you know, if you can move fast. And again, I've always been in a context where it's not important. Like how, if someone's sitting there at home, you know, he's got like a uh, works in medical devices. And it suggests it's thinking that I'm suggesting we should just move fast and break things in medical world. I'm not, but um, I think it's about about that for me is that one person's responsible. A boss of mine used to refer to it as one throat to choke, because until he knew literally who to get hold of when there was a problem. But I've always <laughs> just like that idea of you know it's that one person. It's really straightforward. They make the decisions. Everyone knows where to escalate to, and it doesn't take you know a constant committee for us to kind of. Uh, you know move forward again a belief of mine is that sometimes compromise leads to everyone being unhappy you know rather than like you know was moving in the right direction awesome awesome okay so the polite way is one captain for every ship but the less polite way is one throat to choke 
I love yeah, that. I love that. Okay, and I feel like we're already kind of naturally touching on the topic at hand, so let's get right into that then. Uh, again, Cesare, thank you for the question. He's saying thanks for the answer, Chris. So all good on that end. Let's get into it then, uh, because I would like the watchers and listeners to also explore along with us, along with you, the topic of this philosophy of software development. Let's start from the top and you know, from kind of the topic of the session, uh, which is why you as a tech leader, engineering manager, CTO, director of engineering, uh, why you need your own philosophy of software development. So could you kind of lay the scene of you know what happens when you don't have a philosophy of software development, what are the, the problems that this would address? Yeah, so the, the reason I kind of came up with a theory, probably two, twofold really, was one I think is around recruitment, right? So um, I think having an understanding, and again, apologies, I use a lot of sports analogies, right? Of how you want to kind of build or how you want to play, so to speak, allows you to find folk who want to be part of that. So there's millions of ways to be successful in software engineering, right? You know, everything from, let's say, waterfall and to agile is one, one spectrum. I know it, it's, it doesn't really work like that, right? And if, you know, if, you, if you've got a philosophy that you're a big believer in waterfall, right, you will find people who are, who will agree with you, right? Go hire them. Likewise, if you're an, absolute full-scale agileist you'll find people who agree with you go hire them right but you know if you're a waterfall advocate and you're trying to hire folk who believe in agile you're going to clash because it doesn't make sense for you right and yeah. second probably um it was a way for me to try and kind of say codify or view my own ideas so one of the things that i, I kind of realize and notice is that you know when i'm not around <laughs> things will change so you know you kind of have like this is how we work and it's great when you're kind of there and you're working with the team but you know, you go away for a week or you go on holiday or whatever, and then you come back and actually people kind of revert to type. So it was kind of an idea for, for me to kind of really try and put down that that vision of how I think things should work. Uh, and again, like I say, it's one that, you know, it makes it easy for me to communicate. It makes me allow people to buy in, whether I say recruitment or they're already here. Um, and I think it just makes it really clear for what, what I expect from people was that's kind of the reason I came up with it. Okay, so one problem this addresses is basically incompatible hires and people who you yeah. might bring on board who will not kind of agree with your philosophy and, and, and conflict yeah. might ensue. And the second thing I'm hearing is internally, when you're not around, standards might drop or shift or, you know, there, there yeah. might be some, some changes around that and the philosophy helps kind of keep a lid on that. I want to explore both of these subjects, to be honest. Cool. So let's maybe start with recruitment. What's very interesting for me here would be the how, you know, you're putting up a new job description, you're interviewing candidates, maybe giving them tech tasks, maybe not. Uh, I wonder how you actually check for this software development philosophy during the recruitment process. Yeah, so I, as I'm doing my, my interviews, so I, I kind of have a couple of things that I try and tick off, right? So one is the kind of technical capability based on where I think we are as an organization, so what we're trying to do. One is the kind of team, so like, do they know good teams? Have they worked with bad teams? How do they think about that? One is around the processes, and then one is around, like I mentioned before, self-development, right? And it goes back to what I kind of think about is like the kind of, like I mentioned in the past, about four Ps, and this idea of like, what you know, what are our processes? What's our platforms looking like? What's our product? And then what are our people like? And basically, I have a question set that is designed around the, the philosophy that I'm probably implementing at the time. Obviously, it can't, it's not usually always the same. It's changed depending on the business. And we, we kind of work and measure people against that, for instance. So, you know, if we're a business that's really good at feedback, 
I'll ask a lot of questions about feedback and how you get it. If we're a if we're a business that you know it moves very fast, right? We might talk about how like resilient you are. How do you want to move? How do you like to move at pace? What's your bias for action like? And it's all about tailoring that to that philosophy that you're trying to do there. And again, I, I, one of the things I'm really clear with my interviews is that just because you're a yes or a no to me doesn't doesn't actually define you as a person. Frankly, you know, I've had plenty of people in my in, in sitting in front of me who've been a no for me based on the philosophy, but I, I'm sure are absolutely superb developers. I just don't believe that they would have matched the philosophy that I'm trying to build. So it's not me saying I don't believe you're a good developer or, or, or a bad developer or anything like that. It's just that, you know, the pace we're perhaps trying to move at or the style of development that we're trying to bring in or the things that we're trying to do. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in that um, I like developers to be kind of, um, I was going to say self-start, but I suppose everyone likes that, but kind of people who can kind of do like the concept of cash. So literally can pick up an idea basically and kind of run with it, right? So I'm probably saying like yeah. maybe BAs, you know, can develop the test if they want to, you know, push it into live and think about monitoring and kind of think that full end to end. But I meet a lot of developers who are, who are like that, right? And just because you're the kind of developer who kind of wants a heavily spec piece of software, sorry, kind of requirement, you you write it up and then you hand it over to a test team. That that's great, and that, that that's a really really valid way of doing software. I've got no issues with that, but that's not what I'm looking for. Again, my football analogy here is: if I'm trying to play tiki taka, I don't really want a lot of people who play long ball. And likewise, if I'm trying to play long ball, I can't hire people who do tiki taka. So I need to really think about that. Sorry, what's this concept? I am not well versed in well, sports in general, but what's this? I should have explained that. So tiki tack is like so lots of small little passes. So it's kind of like uh -huh. keeping the ball very fast. It's just very, very different. Again, if there was a spectrum of football, they'd be on the very, very end of it. So um it's just it's just for me, it's just about you working out where you are on that kind of spectrum in terms of your philosophy okay. and then making sure you're higher for it. Sorry. Okay, okay. All right, I get that now. Thank you. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of the people listening probably knew the concept, but I just, you know, want to make sure <laughs> that maybe people who are, are not so into sports like I, I am not, uh, that they also get that. So what I'm kind of getting here between the lines is the first glimpses at your philosophy. And I wanted to ask, okay, so could you give me concrete examples of questions you ask, uh, you know, or types of things that you do to check for, for your concrete philosophy? You mentioned the feedback culture, you mentioned moving fast. That's, is that something that you, is part of your uh, philosophy? And just, again, concrete questions. What do you ask? What do you actually do to, yeah, to check for that when you've got this limited time with a candidate? Yeah, no problem. So I won't go into all of them because otherwise people will be passing my, my interviews quite easy. But yeah, we'll, we'll dig into the feedback stuff, right? So I always ask the candidate, how, how do they like to receive feedback? Because uh -huh. I'm interested to hear that, right? And you hear a variety of methods. And actually, one of the interesting things I like to delve into now is what 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 kind of medium. And that might sound like a strange way, but because we've gone fully remote, it's made giving feedback very, very different, right? Because, you know, mm -hmm. if we're having a problem in work and I can sidle over to your desk and have a conversation with you, it's very different from when, you know, I've kind of got to like wait for a one-to-one -one remote or I've got to message you and get a one-to-one kind -one, of a chat with you. So it's, yeah. that's really interesting for me. Um, the second one is always about what's the most recent piece of feedback you've given out and how did you deliver it? So I'm really, really interested to know like where that what feedback they're giving a vote because I think that shows a bit more honestly, honesty perhaps about how they give feedback, how they receive feedback. Because if they've never, if they say I would like to receive it like this, but I give it like this, there's usually a disconnect because you probably want it to be the same. And then third wow. is how do you how do you deal with feedback that you get that you don't agree with? Because again, there's plenty of times I've had feedback that I've not agreed with, and actually, it's really interesting to hear from folk. Then, if, if you know, I've been told this and I didn't didn't do it. And again, 
it depends how the conversations go into understand, you know, well, what did you think of, you know, like, do you ignore it? Did you go back to the person and say, I think it's this because of this? Did you debate it? You know, so there are yeah. three key things that I like to talk about. You can get a real, real interest interest for people. Um, and again, I think it depends where, you know, I'm assuming there was quite a clear and open feedback culture. And again, and again there is here at PHMG. So again, it, it, it's it's understanding what, the, what they're going to be exposed to. Because, you know, if you come to a business and you don't like getting feedback, and on day one, someone says to you, you've done this, and because of this, this, you know, it can be like a kind of a cultural shock. So it's it's for both sides. Again, interviews have always been a believer that for both sides is to check a that you're a fit for this business, but b does this business fit you? So yeah, they're the kind of three kind of things I would really talk about to kind of delve into kind of stuff like feedback. All right, yeah, uh, I love that answer, and thank you. I love getting something kind of concrete, and this is something that the watchers and listeners can take, apply to their own processes if they care about fostering a feedback culture. If that's part of their philosophy. Uh, or an important part, either way. Uh, Damian Vinchevsky left a comment that I love. <laughs> Idea to cash developer, my beloved role. I love that. And Cezanne is back with another question. And I'm very curious about your answer, actually. Let me read it out loud and then we'll have your answer, I hope. So, <laughs> Agile or Waterfall, what is your choice? And besides that, do you find extreme programming or pair prog programming successful? Very curious about your answer. Yeah, cool. So I probably fall on the spectrum of Agilist, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I just think it's probably the, the, can I say it's the best way to develop software? But that's my belief, right? So I like the idea of getting something, it's rating, testing it, it's rate test. You know, it's a really, really simple loop to me. One of the things I try and tell the team quite a lot is about shortening your feedback loops. You know, so mm -hmm. Agile makes more sense to me and that. So again, I don't think there's anything you probably can't build Agile. Um, I definitely think for me, definitely that every single day, there's definitely things where I don't always kind of say get it live straight away. So, you know, if you're building a big system and you need to get to say feature parity, but I would still get used to building it in that way. And one of the things I try and encourage the team to do is to plan as if it's a live system because I've seen this a load of times where you get into really bad habits, like, oh, we'll just deliver this without test, we'll deliver this without test. It's okay, we don't need, a, we're not live. And actually, you don't really turn them on. You kind of, is the phrase you, you fall to your, low, your lowest level of training or you fall to your level of training? And that's yeah, what I yeah. think here is that, you know, if if when you're not live, you're kind of developing here. When you go live, you're not going to somehow get to here. So you've got to be at that mm -hmm. all the time. And then per programming, yeah. Um, so I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a proponent, certainly, of it. I don't mandate it. Um, I think that's up to the team. And I've, I've even done loads of mob programming as well. Um, and I think it's good for a couple of things. Real number one is knowledge sharing, right? So when you've got a single point of failure, it's really, really good to pair program, mob program, and, and, and work through things like that. Um, I think it also kind of can be even more efficient. I seen a tweet the other day with a really interesting take about if you're pair programming, you need to be twice as quick as if you're doing it individually. I don't believe in that. I think it leads to better quality. You, you remove all the idea of put of a a pull request and doing reviews if you're pair program, and actually, you know, it can it can really 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 help in terms of the quality of getting out of a team because you, you both two minds are thinking about the code at the same time which means that you get less rework less pushback which means that you know it, it hopefully gets into live quicker which is exactly what we're here for so yeah definitely agilist definitely cool with pair programming i encourage it but i don't mandate it because i appreciate some folk um 
you know, happy to work alone and want to work alone, but on certain things, you know, really high risk or like a piece of code that no one else is aware of, I'm probably going to step in and try and push people towards it. But the, the team know that they don't have to break down these kind of silos, etc. All right, great. Uh, thank you for that answer. This <laughs> reminds me of uh, our uh, kind of mutual friend, uh, Lee Rathbone, because <laughs> uh, he was all about pair programming and pair work uh, when he was on Tech Leaders Hub uh, some time ago. So this all very much aligns. Yeah, and, and you know, shout out to Lee if he's watching either this or the recording. Uh, you know, very nice uh, to have had you as a guest. Anyway, so... Um, in terms of my kind of structure in my head, I was like, okay, we covered um, how to check for the software development philosophy during recruitment. So we kind of handled people coming in. What? How about the people who are already within the organization? So what I'm curious about is how do you actually make sure that the people within your teams know the philosophy of software development that kind of uh, that is in place and how is it that they need to be reminded of it, of it somehow is it a manifesto on a wiki you know i do wonder how this is actually you know structured in practice yeah so there's two sides to it so there's what i'll call the soft side of it which is mm -hmm. how do we you know i'm 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 in the detail i'm calling it out i'm encouraging people to do certain things um, you know, so I'll, I'll spend time in stand-ups and ask the questions that I think, you know, will drive us to hopefully those right answers. You know, come on, when are we releasing next? What's the plan? How are we getting value out to the customer? You know, because I'm a big believer in, like I said, the fast feedback and getting value out quickly, right? So I'll try and do that. And I appreciate that that doesn't always land, right? So the, the kind of harder part of it is we start to build things like fitness functions where possible. So a fitness function is just kind of like an architectural test that will allow me to kind of really really embed what i believe to be you know a thing so a perfect example is like um not always great but unit test percentage so you know you can kind of say if you encourage unit tests right if you go and actually make it so the build fails when you go below a certain level it kind of encourages that as well so it's a kind of a combination of kind of software kind of safeguards and holds and then me constantly being in the team and having that conversation with them and driving it and again you know you get what you kind of promote in your praise right that's a that's a big belief of mine so you know if oh. you um you know if, if i promote people who you know do a lot of linkedin posts i'm going to get a lot of linkedin posts going forward right so it's about me working with the team and really really reiterating these are the people who are doing well and calling the reason out why because then everyone understands that's the kind of you know thing we want to move towards. So I think it's both a, a soft and a hard thing for me. So you're kind of looking for opportunities to reiterate, re-emphasize your philosophy. And one of those opportunities is when people get promoted, you communicate why, and it's because they embody the philosophy. I, I, absolutely. And then there's there's a whole host of you know I'm not saying just someone's done something that we enjoy for a few weeks or so promote them, but there's the whole like you know you, you get a lot of like employee demands. You get like tech stars you know that kind of award system so i think it's all about calling out when people have done a really good job and, and that's as simple to me as, as at the stand-up right you know so i i hear there's there's this thing you know kudos to that person because they've done this thing which is you know where we're trying to move to as a business and again it's just that repetition there's a there's a great book by damon hughes about barcelona sorry i do do all the things and read sports books right um the r it, it, it's an acronym bar so and the r stands for repetition and actually it's something that i realized after reading the book that the old ceo um at money supermarket was really really great at constantly repeating himself about what our initiatives were these are things we're trying to do these things we're trying to do so it, it just kind of whenever i see the opportunity they might think i'm a parrot to be honest but it's to try and drop that into the into the conversation to make sure that they're all thinking about it you know it's this yeah. it's this it's this and hopefully you know what i would love to say i don't know if they would be able to but 
you know, if I got into the lift and started to ask the questions of these things, I think the team would be able to say, this is what we do, this is what we do, this is why we try to do it. Because, again, you know, I, I always say to them, joking a little bit, that I don't think of these things that I've, I've got, like, in, in my bedroom at home. Like, most of the stuff that we talk about is, like, the, the way we want to deliver software. You know, it's hopefully scientifically backed. Like, you know, there's a book called Accelerate, and it talks about the four metrics that, drive kind of great software development so you know it's that right so i'll send a blog around about that and this is why we do this right so it's not just my voice because my voice can kind of probably get boring after a while it's about mm -hmm. reiterating that with like industry leaders and that's why they do this and tweets from here and blogs from here and bringing that all together so that you know they can probably call it blanket coverage in some way so that they can't move without seeing all these kind of same kind of repeated messages i see yeah yeah Okay, so it's just it's not just you know Chris repeating this one message of let's focus on this, focus on this, but it's like also pointing to kind of figures of authority, you know. Absolutely. Look, yeah, this this person is living our philosophy too. What I like about the R in Barcelona standing for repetition is that there's a there's a concept in marketing very popular that I I love to repeat ironically enough, and I have said it on Technical Sub before, uh, but for those who haven't heard it, it's like in marketing you say when you are sick of saying it that's when people are only starting to hear you you know if you've got yeah. a slogan if you've got a message to put out there it's only when you're sick of putting it out there that's when it's actually starting to land so you really need to be consistent disciplined uh, you really need to stick to it otherwise it's not going to get really ingrained right yeah, yeah. okay uh, another comment to pull up really happy about uh, the amount of comments we've been having today Damian is saying it's not a question it's just a comment so I'm going to read it and move on Nice to hear that you use mob programming. I see that it is hard to convince companies to use mob programming for even complex problems. I wonder if that's been your experience too. Um, yeah, 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 no, right. So I think that if you take it back, I think there's the conversation of, of why, and you know, there's the whole five whys, and then you can go through it. And I think people think, oh, you know, half a dozen people working on the same problem is really inefficient. We could be moving six things forward. But actually, I think it's that, you know, like the, the two sides, like, hey, I think Damien's called it out, there's a complex problem. So actually six heads are better than one, you know, when we can move things forward, we can make sure we get it right first time, which is which is a, a lot quicker, hopefully. Mm -hmm. um, and two is that breaking down of silos. Again, I, you probably have got it in your own business. I know I've certainly had it in my business, probably even now in our business, those single point of failures, right? And actually when put someone's on holiday, we don't touch that because that person's on holiday and we've got to wait for them to come yeah. back. And so yeah. actually as, as a business, we're, you're making yourselves more well-rounded, more resilient to things that are going on. So, so maybe next time um, ask, ask why, you know what I mean, for try and follow five whites. And the other thing that I, I've done, and this is kind of amazing game, a friend of mine, Duncan, call it say to fail experiment. So I think you can just kind of say, well, actually, let, let's try it for once. You know, at the end of the day, we're going to lose, I don't know, days, week or whatever. And let's see what the outcome is. You know, um, one of the things that we do here as a team is that, you know, every rep show, you know, we, we try and run an experiment. And, you know, even if we're like, we need to fix this, we're not sure what the answer is. Let's just do this for two to three weeks and see how it goes. You know, as long mm -hmm. as I've not done something that you can't repeal back, you know, if I, if I turned around, I don't know, and said, well, it's 10 times everyone's salaries for the next two or three weeks. I'm sure the business would say no to that. But in terms yeah. of if I turned around and said, you know, like, let's, I don't know, um, what are we doing at the, recently at the minute, right? Oh, it's right. So how would how would grooming the backlog change, right? So we were kind of very ad hoc. Now we put a few more sessions in and we're doing that. And we're like, it's these times we kind of come together and do these things. One of the things we're toying with the minute is the concept of kind of office hours. 
so we get quite a few interruptions on the side so we're kind of thinking we might say like two till three every day you know you can kind of come and bug us as much as you want but apart from that leave it to the office hours similar to like the professors do and and uh, we can try these and then we can rip them back so maybe damien go to the, your boss and say actually with this problem we want to try mobbing because we think these will be the benefits and run it like a proper experiment like hypothesis experiments and hopefully uh, they, you know that you'll be able to go back with the evidence whether, whether it's yay or nay and you'll be able to kind of have that debate a little bit more scientifically than kind of like people's opinions right yeah so in terms of more programming you could always pitch it as an experiment and then see the results for yourself it's not that it's not a switch that you can just make once right you can always yeah, switch yeah, uh, yeah. This, this is something you know looking for example at our marketing department we're experimenting as well one thing that comes to mind is like who's in which meeting you know how about we try this meeting without those people or with those additional people what changes you know how, what's the feedback about that and again it's all framed as an experiment you can always go back it's no problem uh, but it's interesting to find out and it's, it really helps learn as an organization what works yeah. all right so um what i've been also curious about in terms of this software development philosophy is i'm thinking of somebody who is just starting on this journey right and they want to define their software development philosophy probably they know they already care about certain things like for example the agile approach versus waterfall approach you know they might have some things on the radar as this is definitely part of my philosophy but are there things you know particular trade-offs or particular kind of spectrums that you might be on that you might not even realize um that are still that are also worth considering so i suppose my, my question kind of boil, boils down to uh when you're building your own software development philosophy what do you need to focus on? What kind of questions do you need to ask yourself? Yeah, so I think when I did it, it was kind of like, what what are the outcomes that I, that I kind of want, right? Mm -hmm. so the outcome uh, eventually, right, is to deliver business value. And then I worked back from that, right? And I was like, right, well, how can I deliver business value the best, right? And the way I deliver business value the best is to be able to establish a culture where we, we, we prioritize fast feedback, getting, um, you know, developments, software into live so that users can use it with a set of people that you know are happy and engaged and want to work here and fundamentally it kind of all boils down from there really so you know it's like right well what platform supports me delivering you know that in the best way for the business what processes support me delivering that way in the business what is their product you know and what supports me in that way for the business and then the people right so how do i keep them happy engaged you know, because there's a, there's a cost every time somebody leave, leaves a business and moves on from a business, both probably financial and non-financial. So it kind of all kind of stemmed from that. And it was kind of like, right, so if I want to deliver software quickly, what's the best way? You know, it's Accelerate, right? If I want to get the, the folk who work with it, it's build this philosophy that I believe that they can start to adhere to and start to work with alongside. From a platform perspective, I'm probably pretty strong cloud-wise, if I'm being honest. If you kind of could say to me, would I favor mm -hmm. on cloud are very much more on the cloud spectrum but again if you can get the the benefits you need out of the on-prem stuff you know great for fill your boots so to speak you know it makes utter sense to me um and then kind of from that product perspective it's kind of like i want autonomous teams right so it's like how do i build teams that can make decisions and drive themselves so one of the things that i like to do with the team is to work in OKRs, so a bit like three months, here's some like metrics, and we discuss that as a team, that's not me coming with metrics, right? The, the strategy flows down, it's both top down and bottom up, right? And it's kind of like, right, you've now got the autonomy to go and move this in the next three months. And actually, 
our touch points are this. So you start to define your interfaces just like you would an API, right? So if you turn around and said, I don't know, we want to increase sales by 10%. I don't know the answers to that. I can have a bit of a stab if people want me to, but actually the people closest to the problems are the ones who can tend to fix it. So by giving them that autonomy to make decisions and playing back, how's it going to say, for instance, me, you, know, you can come and ask for help, coaching, mentoring, advice as much as you want. But actually, fundamentally, you're the unit that's going delivering that. You know, you've hopefully mm -hmm. got architecture slash platform because you've, you're optimizing for fast feedback and it allows you to make those decisions. Touch wood, we, we can tend to deliver business value pretty quickly. And it goes back to that chess piece thing of, you know, moving twice as fast as others. You know, we will make mistakes in that way. Um, and I'm really, really cool with that. You know, don't bet the farm, um, you know, when we end up shutting the business perhaps. But, you know, we might build stuff that doesn't work great. We might build stuff that works great. You know, we'll, we'll kind of work through that as a team and as a, as a business. All right. Yeah. I'll, I'll, on the one hand, I love it. On the, on the other, lots to unpack here. And this is also about uh, kind of your philosophy. But okay, what I'm getting is, you know, step one is think about the ultimate outcome step yep. two work back from it and use yep. that to define your philosophy and you, um, you know for the watchers and listeners your philosophy will not be the same as chris's or anybody else's but you'll yeah. find for your own case kind of what works yeah so again i always go to extremes when i'm trying to think of these things but if you know if, if you went and said you know i, I want to work in a, a medical device lab right Mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you said, if I said to you, you know, I'm going to go and build a really fast feedback loop and, you know, if things go wrong, I'm really cool with that. I think you'd be saying, well, I don't want to ever work with the, you know, the pacemakers that Chris is making, for instance, right? But then if you kind of <laughs> say, right, well, from that perspective, right, it's delivering software safely, you know, zero errors, you know, to go and dr drive business value, right? You come back probably with a different kind of uh, approach than what I would do. So, you know, you're probably going to be looking at, right, well, actually, the really difficult part of this probably is the kind of testing element of it, like really hard, like, mm -hmm. you know, you don't want to let anything go out. So, you know, are you going to go and use something like formal methods, for instance, to kind of really define that in theory your software's, you know, mathematically proven to be right? You know, what are your test cycles looking like? Because based on that, and it kind of allows you then to, you know, as a team to start saying, actually, you know, the risk profile that we've developed in our philosophy it's very different from the one that I'm currently running, but actually it helps people think about it, you know. So when someone says, well, should we ship this code because it's, um, you know, it's Friday afternoon and it's going to go out, I'm really relaxed with that where I am now. But if you're if you're in a different risk profile because of your philosophy, then you wouldn't. You would say, well, well let's hold on, actually, and we'll leave it till Monday and we'll, we'll jump yeah. through these hoops. We won't skip things because it doesn't make sense. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so you do also have to think about your particular industry or the particular type of business. And your yeah. uh, risk profile, I like I like that kind of mental idea. Um, so I was wondering, you actually touched upon something that I would like to pick your brain a little bit more about. I think a lot of the people listening, especially if they're managers, they've heard of OKRs. And it's, mm -hmm. you know, he, here I've got an example of somebody who's implemented them from what I can hear successfully. So to the people of who are kind of flirting with the idea of OKRs, curious about implementing them, how would you sell them on the idea and what advice would you give to actually do it right? So I am... Um read the Andy Grove's like book, High Output Management. It's a book I would recommend to anybody to read. Um, mm. It's quite thin, small paperback, but actually like he kind of, I think originally started the idea and it kind of got a renaissance in Google because um, John Kerr joined their board and I think he'd been on Intel or he knew him from Intel or something like that. But I think they were the, the original folk, folk who did them, right? So um, what I like about them is it's the kind of idea of setting that outcome, right? 
and actually then the kind of key results keep people honest and the kind of constraints you know the the idea being um you know, you, you, you might say, I don't know, an objective is to, to grow the business, right? And there's probably a few mm. ways of growing the businesses. One is around, I don't know, selling more stuff, like, let's say improve profit, right? One's selling more stuff, one's reducing costs, and you kind of keep yourself honest with those kind of key results. Um, the way I've the way I've managed to sell them again, it's that experiment mindset, right? It's like let's see what we can do here and let's see how let's see how we can work. I believe it leads to teams being able to move faster because you give them the outcome you want as opposed to the kind of predefined plan of what you need to do. Because what, what I was seeing is that when you give someone a plan to follow, they tend to have to come and kind of come back to you a lot and check with you, are we doing the right thing? Are we not doing the right thing? Whereas if you Yeah, there's of, this step in the plan, but it doesn't make sense with my context. Can I skip this step, change this step? They come in with lots of these questions. Yeah, exactly. So the idea for me is that we kind of push it back and say, you know, actually, you know, this is the outcome we're trying to do. You know, sales growth by 10%, for instance. And actually, you know, you can sell more to the people who are already buying from us. You can go and find new customers. You can go into an adjacent market, I suppose, in different ways. You know, you might start selling insurance if you're a car sales company or something etc etc right and actually it lets people kind of have that autonomy you know and i think dan pink was about autonomy mastery and um, there's another one i can't think of the top of my head that, that allows you to kind of like really really enjoy your job so yeah. uh, it, for me it, it's just been about taking up sometimes it, it's, it's a process of us working through and saying actually you know this is the roadmap and this is what we're trying to do um, and these are the reasons why we're trying to do it. And you kind of probably still been given a bit of a roadmap. And then you start to then kind of step it away and start to talk to the people and say, actually, the folk who are on the ground floor are doing the actual work. They understand what we're trying to do now because all roadmaps tend to be or plans are is just a, a strategy kind of distilled for the people who've not had time to be given the context. So it, it's something that I, I'm a real, real big believer in. And again, um, one of the, the one of the books I read was a book called Extreme Ownership by a uh, Cameron Jocko Willick, Jocko Willick. I always get it wrong, right? And he's a Navy SEAL. And he talks yeah, about yeah, I read that a few weeks ago. Great recommendation. Go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. The, the concept of commander's intent. And I really love that idea was that, you know, it's not just like, you know, take a hill over here. The idea is like, you're responsible for doing this because of this. And actually, if they get to the land and they realize there's an even bigger hill next to it, which would give them a better, you know, kind of, I've never been in the army, never even played Call of Duty really, you know, kind of better like line of sight to be able to do their mission. They should take that one rather than that one. And that's kind of what, you know, I've really loved this distilling that kind of, this is the outcome I want. Um, uh, and it really works for me. I just love it. Yeah, I can definitely recommend the book, Extreme Ownership. It's not just great as a book for leaders. It's also got some very interesting uh, just historical accounts of, you know, uh, of the operations that these leaders were involved in. So it's all kind of what I like about it is it's all rooted in the actual situations. The authors are actually admitting to a lot of mistakes and they're saying what kind of lessons they drew from those mistakes and how they owned up to them. Actually, it's, it's part of where the extreme ownership concept comes again, from yeah i love that just jump, jump in there but like the, the reason i like that that book so much where it really resonated with me was that uh, they're not insane right but i was like i wanted to build that kind of autonomous unit which is something like you know mm -hmm. a special forces team is so that's why mm -hmm. i like them so much because you can really take stuff that they're doing there and i'm not going to say apply it to software development it's a very very different context but i really like that. what have they done here and how did they approach these similar problems you know giving people autonomy getting the job done you know building instilling the discipline you know giving people their like respect etc and you know i'm not taking the team down and i've gotten you know doing like butterfly kicks 
in the water yet, but it's that kind of stuff and it really, really works for me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a great recommendation. And oh gosh, we've only got a few minutes on the clock left here. So I'm thinking about what uh, to delve into as we're kind of slowly closing off the session. Watchers and listeners, if you've got additional questions, now would be a great time to share them because uh, we will only have time to answer two or three more. In the meantime, something that I wanted to come back to from actually our initial conversation, even before we went uh, live, was the subject of high standards. When we were initially talking, I had this impression that you really care about high standards, setting them and enforcing them within your teams. So could you say a little bit more about that in terms of why is this is important to you and how to actually do that, how to make sure these high standards are being met in your teams? Yeah, so... Um, it's something that I don't know. Uh, my boss used to say to me that I've got probably super high expectations of, of everyone else more than anybody else he'd ever met, and it's just I believe that you know if there's jobs worth doing, it's worth doing right. So um, I, I believe you know you set that commander's intent. You kind of say what you want to do. I, I'm here to support you. I'm here to work with you. I'm here to help develop you. Um, you know I, I will give feedback if situation doesn't panel like I want it to be and I'm a big believer in the, the kind of BIF framework so you know the behavior the impact you know the feelings in the future so you know when you do something it makes me feel like this I need you to in the future to do this and it kind of like just sets the mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a sandwich named one where you say something good something bad something good and I don't really believe in that because I think everybody sees through it and so I think it's just to me about um you know setting the expectations telling people where I think they should need to be and then manage them against them I think um if you don't do that, like standards start to slip. And then what happens with that is that it starts to spread in the team. You know, when when someone lets somebody else down and starts, you know, they don't have the thing ready like they said they do. You know, they've, they've not turned up to the meeting late, for instance. Um, you know, everyone else seems to start to try and do it as well. So I'm just a big believer in, you know, I'm not some sort of like ogre, you know, you're a minute late and I'm like throwing you out the room or anything like that. But one of, one of the things we did a little bit, Joe, Chris, we, we had a, a bit of a lateness problem. So we started finding people 50p a minute, you know, to charity, you know, if they were late and that quickly solved the issue. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a bit of a jokerish side to it as well, you know, because you kind of really calling out, you know, you can be five minutes late, but it's two pound fifty. You know, you got to get on the website and go fund me and put it in there for charity. So, just just things like that, you know, and, and kind of really, you know, it show those behaviours and, and and kind of call them out. You know, it was really obvious to people. We went from probably having persistent lateness in most of our meetings to never ever being on time, never ever being late. People were one or two minutes early to all of our of our meetings, and it just solved the issue straight away. Yeah, I love that, especially how actionable it is. I wouldn't have come up with this in terms of making it uh, a cost, a small cost, and it goes to char charity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, thank you for, for that answer. All right. And one other thing that I wanted to uh, also kind of get a little bit more detail about from you was in terms of building teams that are autonomous. This is something that we kind of promised in the promotional copy. I would like to deliver on that promise a little okay. bit more. Uh, so when you've got this team that's focused on outcomes, focused on an OKR and not on the specific steps, is there anything particular that you do to actually make sure that you know they've got this autonomy? Is it a matter of you kind of chaining yourself to the wall, making sure you don't step in too much, uh, or is there something in particular, some particular conversations, tools, systems that you implement here that help your teams be more autonomous? So say this was January, right? 
I kind of want your mm -hmm. objectives kind of started so we can start the year with them, right? So we're probably talking about them in December. Um, and again, it's my job to probably make sure that what you're attempting to do matches up with the strategy of the business, right? So I'm probably that, what I call that translation layer. Mm -hmm. So we get to end of December, objectives are good. We all know we're ready to roll. So we start January. I beg your pardon. I, um, I start, you know, probably a weekly meeting with you, just where we'll touch base and just see how we're going. So we've kind of agreed what the objectives are. We've agreed how we're tracking them because we've got the key results. And actually, we kind of then course correct as part of it. And it's up to you then to kind of bring me in as much as you wish or, or not to, right? My view is that we've agreed what your goal is. You know, it's do this 10%, it's reduce this 10%, it's change this, whatever it is, right? And actually, we've got a plan. We've got a, an ability to track that KPI and you play it back to me and you say this. So I'm not going to be up in your business saying, you know, where are you doing this? Why are you doing that? How are you doing that, right? Because that's your job. But it's also your job to make sure that you're kind of getting the results that we need. Um, you know, so you can do it in a few ways, right? So you can have little loads of little, little kind of bets and try and change it. Or, you know, I've seen plenty of teams say, you know, they're going to go Hail Mary and just have to kind of change the last ones, you know, kind of like they'll get it in the last week beforehand. And both can work. So it, to me, it's about, you know, you've got the freedom. You know, autonomy to me isn't about, you know, you can do what you want, but, you know, you're moving towards the business outcome we want you to do. But how you approach it, I'm really, really relaxed about. And all I do is kind of have that weekly meeting, but you can drag me in as much as you want. I can't be... Um, you know, like I'll call it a sleep, a sleep at the wheel, so to speak. I can't be like completely, and you know, I'll just come back at the end of March and we'll see how you get on. But I'm yeah, also yeah. like trying to give you, give you, give the folks the ability to, to make decisions. I'll support them, I'll protect them, I'll give them top cover on it. Um, but for me, it's just about, you know, setting the idea for what we want to deliver, stepping away, make sure everyone else steps away. And then actually, you know, just working out what those touch points are because, you know, people still need to feed into the business. You know, if you've got a business working on a yearly cycle, and three months are burned because they don't do anything or they're not living. And that doesn't really happen, right? That, but that's what that's what people's fear is, right? They, they, we are just going to do something for three months and it won't do anything. So it's just about managing those two things. And that to me is just a weekly OKR session. Um, that if you ever read the book about uh, the four disciplines of execution, one of those one of those is about um, having a really good like um, scoreboard and playing it back in a weekly weekly meeting. So we do both yeah. in a second things focus on like your lead and like measures and understand that kind of stuff so yeah it work, really works for us yeah the four disciplines of execution is really the yeah. book that i should have lived for a month but i just read it in a week half of it i actually and yeah i also do heartily recommend that one all right and we, we i i can hardly believe that we're very much nearing into the end of, of our session if i could trouble you because i found a very good return on investment from this question that i'm about to ask next was there anything that i didn't ask about here that you would still like to add that you know you were really excited to talk about during the session but none of my questions surfaced it or anything that you would like to add or, or you know, kind of summarize this this topic uh as we are kind of slowly winding down and, and saying goodbye uh after the session the only thing i would say is that it, again yeah, it's an iterative process i think business philosophy mm. and like i say you can chop it and you can change it that, you know, depending on the context that you're in. So I think it's good, you know, for people to sit down and work from the back, you know, sit with your teams as well. You know, if you're in a mature organization and you want to kind of change things dramatically, it's probably not going to work. But for each team to understand what's important to them, why do they do it, what, why do they not do it? And to really understand that is probably what I would suggest if, you know, if I was going to say anything for everyone. But no, I think you've, you've asked most of the questions that, that I've expected.
Okay, awesome. All right, glad that we managed to cover so much in this hour. A lot of actionable advice for tech leaders, at least you know, in my humble opinion. But I'm sure we'll get feedback uh, even after the session. So um, thank you, Chris, for sharing all that you well, not nearly all that you know, but you know, just a little bit of what you know during the session. Do you have any announcements for our audience? Anything you want to highlight in terms of where to follow you, follow your company, hiring, anything that you would like to yeah. kind of mention? So, so again, I'm on LinkedIn, Chris Thacker, the Fire Me, Director of Engineering PHMG. Drop me a note on there if you want to discuss anything in more detail, more than happy to. Uh, and then I'm on Twitter, Chris Thacker 66 You know, just give me a shout on there if people want to as well. But no, cheers for having me on. It's, it's been great, actually. Really enjoyed it. Okay, I love that. Uh, and I really enjoyed it as well. I really love the advice. And it sounds like we read some of the same books here. <laughs> so we should definitely connect on, on that. And uh, in the meantime, if anybody here is meeting SDX Next for the first time, just, just a little bit of information about us before we go on uh, and, and close the session. Hi, we're SDX Next, the people bringing you Tech Leaders Hub, and we're Europe's largest software development company that specializes in Python. We attracted some of the best talent in Poland, developers, designers, DevOps, machine learning engineers, you name it, we've got it. And if you have a product or a project that you would like support with, we are here to help you out. If your stack is based on Python, JavaScript, Node.js, we are here to assist you. So sdxnext.com. If you want more of Tech Leaders Hub, that's techleadershub.com. The best way to follow SDX, uh, to follow Tech Leaders Hub to get informed about the new sessions is to follow SDX Next on LinkedIn. You can also uh, subscribe to our newsletter on techleadershub.com and you'll get informed about any upcoming sessions. So go ahead and do that if you'd like to be informed. Meanwhile, that's it for this episode. Really glad to have had you. Thank you especially for our commenters and the great questions coming in. Chris, thank you again so much for your time and for everyone else we'll see you next time cheers thanks for having me thank you for listening to this episode of tech leaders hub if you want more advice that will make you a better technical leader be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening right now tech leaders hub sessions are usually streamed live giving you the opportunity to get answers to your burning questions directly from our guests to take part in Tech Leaders Hub Live, follow STX Next on LinkedIn and subscribe to our channel on YouTube. That's S-T-X-N-E-X-T. Last but not least, we invite you to join our community and continue the discussion on Facebook. Just search for Tech Leaders Hub and you'll find our dedicated Facebook group. Once again, thanks for listening. Really glad you could join us. Hope we'll see you in the next one.